Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that when we do confess our sins, you do create a new and a clean heart within us. Lord, it is by grace through faith. Lord, there is nothing that we can do to earn this favor, this love that you have for us today. And I pray that you remind us that, that everything that we are and do as Christians is first and foremost based on this great gift of salvation that's given to us freely. And then everything else flows out of that in our lives. And Lord, you have commissioned us as a church with a mission to go and to tell the world the good news of what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. So I pray that you would fill us as a congregation with your Holy Spirit, that you would cause our eyes to be turned towards you and what you are doing within our community today and what you're doing in our midst within this church today. Uh, so, Lord, we can only discern these things or know these things by your Spirit speaking to us through your Word. So speak to us today. Teach us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we are turning to a familiar passage in Matthew's Gospel. It's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is what we call the Great Commission. This uh, event that we are going to read from Matthew 28 happened after Jesus' ministry. After his death upon the cross to take away our sins. After his burial. And then after his resurrection from death on the third day. And during the time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he taught the disciples, he instructed the disciples in many different things. He appeared to many, uh, the, the author of 1 Corinthians says that he appeared to 500 at one time. And he was giving instructions the time between his resurrection and his ascension. One of the most well-known instructions that Jesus gave in that period between his resurrection and ascension is taken uh, is here in Matthew chapter 28. So we turn to Matthew chapter 28. I do invite you to stand again. Sometimes it seems as if we stand and we sit and we stand and we sit. But out of reverence and respect for God's word, we do stand. And we read from Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some what? Oh, some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Me, that is Jesus. Therefore do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus gives us the great promise, and surely I am with you. This promise is for you. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To that we say, praise to you, O Christ. So I have four points. Now, you may be seated. Four points for the sermon today. First point is this, that Jesus loves doubters. 
Jesus loves doubters. Number two, Jesus has all authority, and Jesus will never leave you. Then Jesus invites you into his mission. So number one, Jesus loves doubters. Do you struggle in your relationship with God? You struggle to trust and to believe Jesus. Well, I have good news for you. Jesus loves doubters. And Jesus chose ordinary people. Get this. He chose ordinary people like you and I as those who would receive his great commission to go into all the world and to preach the good news of the gospel. Jesus could have chosen those with with a great education or an amazing intellect, those with, with incredible skills and ability, but he chose ordinary people like you and I to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. So if you doubt, if you struggle in your walk with God, there is good news for you today. Jesus loves doubters. And this, this gives me comfort I know we're not supposed to, uh, to enjoy it when people fail. But when, when Peter struggles in his faith, when Peter uh, has a, has a, just, just really blows it and he denies Jesus three times, and then Jesus comes to him and reassures him with his grace and reinstates him, it gives me comfort. Because here's Peter, a man who blew it. And Jesus loves him. And then Thomas. Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus. I don't like it. I don't like to, to, to witness people blow it, but, but there is great comfort for me in that Jesus came to Thomas and said, Thomas, put your hands where the nail marks are. Jesus loves doubters. Never doubt it. He loves doubters. He loves you. And he wants you to be a part of his great commission task in our world. So point number one is that Jesus loves doubters. Number two, Jesus has all authority. He has all authority. But we need to talk about this authority. We need to make sure that we are calling on the God who is the one true God. You can't call on any God and expect that God to really be there and to have any authority. Because there is only one God. To call on a God that is not God is pointless. Absolutely pointless to pray to a God or to invoke the name of a God that is not the one true God is to waste your breath. And this is where the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. Here at Maple Park, we, without reservation, believe, teach, and confess the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And this is Trinity Sunday. So I'm going to unpack this whole idea of the Trinity for us today. Throughout the Bible, there is a clear and consistent message the first clear and consistent message throughout the Bible is, is that there is how many gods? One God. There is only one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? He is one. 
And then we're to love the Lord our God, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. But here, verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. One God. There are not three gods. There is only one God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. But then we confess three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each is revealed in the Bible as true God. The Father is true God, the Son is true God, and the Holy Spirit is true God. None of the three within the Holy Trinity are revealed in the Bible as lesser than God or creations of God or various manifestations of God. Each is assigned attributes of the one true God. Each are worshipped as the one true God. Yet each are distinct. This is the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And this is a theology that just gives me a headache. My, my brain just wants to explode with this concept because it doesn't match anything within creation. That's because God is so much higher and majestic and even incomprehensible to us. We cannot minimize the reality that God is one. And at the same time, we cannot minimize the reality of three distinct persons in the Godhead. So we confess the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, three distinct persons in one divine essence. There is only one God who exists eternally as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Maybe an illustration is helpful. Alyssa, I have a diagram. Many Lutheran churches have this diagram in a very artistic fashion on stained glass in their churches. How many of you have ever seen this in uh, on a church stained glass window. A lot of the uh, German Lutheran uh, churches in western New York would have this on their stained glass. It would be in German, not in English. But this helps us maybe to understand the doctrine of, of the Holy Trinity. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. 
And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father, nor is the Father the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit the Son, or the Son the Father. One God, eternally existing in three distinct persons. That is our God. This is the God who we worship. Do we understand it? Can we intellectually come to the point where, oh yeah, this all makes... No. That is because God is so much higher than we could ever imagine or think. And there is nothing in all of creation that is like this. So this becomes a very difficult theology and a debated theology within Christianity. That this is our God. And when we call on God, this is the God that we call upon. When we invoke the name of God, this is the name we invoke. He alone is the one who has all authority. And because Jesus is true God, He possesses all authority. He does not have one-third authority. Oh no. Jesus is true God, has all authority. And this is the name upon which we call. As we gather to worship, as we baptize, as we receive the Lord's Supper, it is God. Three persons and one divine essence. And so you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been baptized Into the name of the one true God, you have been baptized in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is who you are. A baptized child of God. And we learn from the scriptures that when we're baptized into the name of our God, you are joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In your baptism, Jesus' authority of salvation is in His name. Not in you. Not in any, any other name, for their salvation is found in no other name but in His name. So this means that Jesus, this God, this triune God, holds you and He keeps you. What are you facing in life right now? What are you going through? What hardship or predicament are you facing today? This this great God, the Creator, who we read about in Psalm 8, He is mindful of you. This triune, almighty, all-powerful God is mindful. He cares about you and, and He holds you through every difficulty, through every hardship, through the ups and the downs of life. I was talking to somebody this morning. I said, how's it going? And said, it's like a roller coaster. How many of you would say life is like a roller coaster sometimes? In the midst of, of all of that, you have this God, the creator, the almighty triune God who is upholding you, who is keeping you, who catches you. He catches you when you fall. Late, late on Thursday night and into Friday morning, I was with a, a man whose wife 
suddenly died of a massive heart attack. And this couple in their 90s, before going to bed, the, the husband told me with tears in his eyes that they would, they would embrace and they would hug every night uh, before they would go to bed. And he went to hug her and she collapsed. Uh, he said she, she hit the floor like a rock. And he just had tears in his eyes. And he said, I, I couldn't catch her. Here's a, here's a man in his 90s. I couldn't catch her. And he just felt so much guilt. Now I'm not this smart. This is the Holy Spirit. Trust me. I said to that man, you couldn't catch your wife tonight, but Jesus caught her. And tears came to his eyes, and he looked at me and said, thank you. Thank you. Those were the words that he needed to hear, that this almighty, all-powerful God is the one who upholds us, who catches us, who keeps us. You call upon any other name. You call on Buddha. You call on Muhammad. You call on Joseph Smith. It's not going to work. There's only one name, and that is the name of the one true God. We're baptized in that name, and because we're baptized in that name, we are secure in him. We are safe and secure in the arms of the one true, mighty, and powerful God. If you haven't heard it lately, he loves you. Then I was talking to the confirmation class this morning, and I thought I'd ask this question. Do you think God likes you? And they were like, no, I don't think God likes me. You know, he, he loves me, but how can God like me? Well, he, he not only loves you, but he, he likes you. He, he adores you. I said, he doesn't like everything you do. He doesn't like everything I do. He doesn't love everything I do. But this God, he, he loves you and he adores you. And in his powerful, almighty name, he holds you. He upholds you. He strengthens you. He's given you the gift of the forgiveness of sins and of everlasting life. And then point number three is that Jesus will never leave us. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I will never leave you. Or he said to, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he also said another part of the scripture. He said, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. So number four, this great God, we invoke the name of this, this great God who, who loves us, who uh, has given us his mighty and powerful name, who upholds us in life. He then invites us to join him in his mission. And the mission is this, simply to tell others of our God, who not only loves us, but loves them. Who not only adores us, but adores them. That's our mission, is to go and to tell others, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves sinners. And we tell people that he loves us by retelling the story of Jesus, which is the message of the gospel. Go to others and make disciples by telling them of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We make disciples then by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We baptize in the name of the one true God, knowing that 
calling upon any other God who is not God is pointless. So we go to them. We make disciples. We baptize and we teach. Baptizing in the name of the one true God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens when we baptize? Why is baptism so important? Well, listen to what Paul says regarding baptism in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So Alyssa, Romans 6, verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What do you think? Because we, we have this God who loves us and who has saved us, we've been baptized into his name, should we go on sinning? No. By no means, Paul says, we are those who have died to sin. You have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? And then verse 4. Or verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Something interesting happens in baptism. We can go back to verse 3, Alyssa. Something interesting happens in baptism. What is, what is Paul saying? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What does that mean? It means that we have been joined to the death of Jesus Christ. We believe that it means that our old sinful nature has died. That in the waters of baptism, our sinful self drowns and dies. Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now verse 4. Alyssa, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we believe that in baptism... That we, our old sinful nature, dies. And we believe that in baptism we rise as a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And today you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you're, you're, you're a new person in Christ. That old sinful nature, it, it is done away with. It was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And today you're a new creation in Him. What does it mean to be a new creation in Him? Then, church, after baptizing, what do we do? We teach. We teach. What do we teach? Everything that Christ has commanded. We teach people to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus. We teach so that we can grow as his disciples. So that we can grow in this new life that Christ has given to us. Knowing that our growth comes from his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not of yourselves. 
from that grace, that salvation, comes a new life. Growth in Jesus. What does that growth look like? It looks like us living as Christ lives. Loving as Christ loves. Speaking as Christ speaks. Going into our world as those who have a message. And the message isn't about me. The message isn't about Maple Park Church. If all, if all we have for Linwood is, is uh, me and you and, and this building, we don't really have very much, do we? <laughs> it's, it's a pretty pathetic thing if it's just me and you in this building. But what we go to the world with is Jesus. We tell people about him, what he did. We tell people about his death. For sinners, we tell people about his resurrection, which promises everlasting life. So may we be a church that lives the new life that we've been given by his grace in the sacrament of baptism, empowered through the teaching of God's word, enabled by the spirit to obey everything that he's commanded, so that we in turn then can go into this world with this good news. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I pray that somehow the the words that I attempted to speak today uh, would have an effect uh, through your Holy Spirit. Uh, That you would continue this slow process of transformation in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. That uh, that our lives and our congregation would be an outflow of Jesus. An outflow of the triune God. An outflow of, of everything that you have done within us. That you have implanted this word within our heart. And I pray that it would bear fruit in this world today. So, Lord, only you can do this, so we come before you with humble hearts, saying, Lord, do in us and through us what we could never do. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.